Well, I ask if you will take your Bibles this eve afternoon, and we return to James chapter 1. We'll continue our consideration of verses 19 through 20, but I do want to read uh, the context, uh, verses 19 through verse 27, as we begin again. So, James chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. But be ye hearers of the word, be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is likened to a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, before we begin this afternoon, we, I did have a question that was raised uh, during the lunch break that I don't think that I had brought out very fully uh, this morning, and I probably won't bring out very fully this afternoon unless I go ahead and address it, and that is the matter of the interconnectedness between the issues that we see in verses 19 and 20. Uh, verses 19 and 20, again, uh, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And the question was, I believe, phrased in this way. Uh, are those three separate entities, and, and why is their attention only paid to the wrath? The, the wrath actually has an, an explanatory phrase with it, be slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And uh, something that I, that I realized as I was studying this, and I don't think I brought it, it would bring out very clear if I don't go ahead and say it now, is that there is an interconnectedness here, and I view it as, as almost a crescendo. Uh, almost a progression, almost a building block system. And so what, what happens? The first thing that needs to happen in a new creation, Christians are a new creation, is you need to learn to be slow, uh, quick to hear. Every Christian needs to be learned, learn to quick to hear the Word of God. If you are quick to hear, the natural progression, the natural thing that will come out of that is you will be slow to speak. And I will make the point that this is not talking about slow to speak in everything, it's uh, particularly talking about slowing, slow to speak the Word of God. And I'll get to that in, in more detail. It does have to be slow to speak many things, but it, all, the context here is important. Slow to speak the Word of God, then slow to wrath, slow to anger. If we are quick to hear, we're going to be slow to speak. If we're slow to speak, we will be slow to anger. But the progression does not stop there, because if you look on down into verse 20, for the wrath of man, that's looking back to the previous verse, worketh not the righteousness of God. The progression goes like this. If we're quick to hear, we will be slow to speak. If we learn how to hold our tongue, not have a sharp tongue, I will get to that, we're going to be slow to be angry. If we're going to be slow to be angry, a natural outcome of that is we will, be, we will work the righteous acts of God. That's what, the, that's what the meaning of verse 20 actually is. It's not so much God's righteous acts. It's our working the righteous acts of God. And so I wanted to just start with that before we get going where we left off this morning. Any questions or comments on that? 
Well, good. Well, good, good. The good news is we did make it halfway through this morning, and so we, we should be able to finish up these two verses, these two verses this afternoon. And we start with point number two. Remember what point number one was. The outline is very simple. Point number one is we should all be quick to, quick to hear, specifically hear the Word of God. Now, point number two, just as simple, we all need to be slow to speak. We all need to be slow to speak. Verse 19 says this, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, there's point one, slow to speak, there's point two, slow to wrath will be point three. Now, the first thing that I thought when I looked at this is there might be somebody out there, I'm not one of these, by the way, but there might be somebody out there that says, so I talk a lot, who cares? That's not me, by the way. If I'm not up in front of a crowd like this, I don't talk a whole lot. But So I talk a lot. Who cares? That might be going through somebody's mind right now. I like to talk. I love to talk to people. You know, why should I be slow to speak? Who cares if I talk a lot? James is warning us not to quit talking. James is warning us to be very careful before we open our mouths. Specifically, to be very careful before we open our mouths speaking about the things of God. Speaking about the things of God. The word, that's trans, the word that's translated slow twice here in verse 19, slow to speak, slow to become wrath, means dull. So literally, dull to speak. And that's not talking about being dull while you speak. It's talking about being dull to speak as opposed to being sharp. Now, does, you know, does anybody in here have a sharp tongue? Has anybody ever in here been told that your words cut like a knife? Has anybody in here ever told that you are able to destroy somebody with your words? Does anybody have a clue what I'm talking about? Nobody can identify with that. Nobody has ever been told that they have a sharp tongue. Well, that's what this verse is talking about. This verse is talking is telling us that we should not have a sharp tongue. How often is it that our sharp tongue gets us in trouble? saying things that we shouldn't say at times that we shouldn't say them in ways that we should not say them. Now, what I want to do is I want to take us on a little tour uh, back in the book of Proverbs and talk about some of the verses, some of the verses in Proverbs that, that explain some of the things that were going on here. There are some people who talk about James as James is the Proverbs of the New Testament. And we do find, we do find a lot of repeated elements and I want to just read a couple here. Then there's going to be another couple of verses that I want you to turn to that we're going to discuss. But a couple just to listen to for a second. Proverbs chapter 10, verses 18 through 21. He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin. But he that refraineth his lips is wise. The tongue of the just is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for want of wisdom. Now, I don't know if you followed that very closely, but those words, the, the, the words there in Proverbs chapter 10, verses 18 to 21, were not all admonitions not to speak, were they? For instance, the lips of the righteous feed many. That is not an admonition not to speak. That is an admonition to speak the right words at the right time. And so James is not saying that we should never be talking. James is talking about we need to uh, refrain from having a sharp tongue as we are talking. There's a, there's a balance here that we saw in those verses in Proverbs chapter 10. There's a balance between being slow to speak, because it does have that. In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. There's going to be sin in a multitude of words in, as a general principle. 
So there's a ba- but there's a balance because likewise the writer of Proverbs would go on to say the lips of the righteous feed many. There's a balance that we must have in our life. Proverbs 17 verses 27 to 28 are another another pair of proverbs that talk about this. He that hath knowledge spareth his words, and a man of understanding is an excellent spirit. Even a fool when he holdeth his peace is counted wise, and he that shutteth his lips is esteemed as a man of understanding. Once again, the idea of we must be very careful when we open our mouths to speak. And that is more, even more so as we open our mouths to speak regarding the words of God. Now, I'm going to, we're going to go to the book of Matthew next, but first of all, anything else that, that anybody wants to say perhaps about the book of Proverbs or other, other general things about speech? Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, you know, frequently, like we had lunch today, Frequently, you know, there's, there's, I will say that, you know, I have bread to eat that you know not all. I would rather stand and talk than eat lunch just about, just about any time. Maybe not all the time, but just about any time. I'd rather stand and talk and have be nourished by the conversation rather than, rather than physical food. So, yeah, very important point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is uh, which is not saying we can't get together and talk about our families or sports or something like that. But once again, I, I think our, what we will find if we analyze our life closely is that we spend far too long talking about the unimportant and far too little time discussing what is truly spiritually, eternally important things. Yeah. All right. Anybody else? All right. Well, I got one here I want you to turn to with me, and we're going to talk about it for just a minute. Matthew chapter 12 verses 34 to 37. Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 to 37. And I want you to turn here and read this with me because there's uh, some words that I want to point out that, that are very interesting words as we read this. Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 34. Jesus is speaking here to the scribes and Pharisees. Uh, and so when we see the word you or ye in here, realize that this is Jesus talking to the scribes and Pharisees. And it starts out pretty harshly. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Now tell me, do the words that come out of your mouth mean anything? You look at that, you tell me that the words that come out of your mouth don't mean something. If you're reading the ESV, and I know a lot of you are reading the ESV in here, in verse 36 you see the word careless word. If you're reading the, uh, the KJV, the King James Version, you see the word idle word, or something along those lines, right, in verse 36. Uh, the Greek word here is an interesting word. It's the word argon. It doesn't mean a whole lot. Now, I'm sure everybody's thinking argon, like argon gas. No, nope, no. Nah. It doesn't mean a whole lot till you break it down. Uh, the A, just like in the Latin, the A means not. The rest of the word, the, the argon, is the Greek word ergon. It means to work. The literal meaning here of that phrase, idle word or careless word, is a word that does not work. Uh, a synonym that we have today is the word unemployed. Jesus is warning us 
about using words that literally do no work. Idle words, careless words. There is a very important aspect in our life as Christians based on the words we speak. Uh, Now, as I mentioned before, very specifically, this injunction about being slow to speak has to do primarily within the context of speaking the Word of God, speaking about the Word of God or speaking the words of God. Because remember, what's the quick to hear? Quick to hear anything? Quick to hear the Word of God. Now, why would James interject something totally different just by the use of a comma? Quick to hear the Word of God, slow to speak the Word of God. Uh, Now, can you think of a reason why we need to be slow to speak the Word of God? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very important point. I, admittedly, I read the Bible, and some passages aren't crystal clear to me. I read the Bible and study it, and sometimes those passages aren't crystal clear to me. I could get up and say something that I thought and find out that I'm totally wrong, totally wrong. And I've done that before, and I, I think usually I stand up and, and confess my error and try to correct what I've said, but, that, but that's a very important thing. It, 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 that uh, uh, we often say, let the Bible interpret the Bible. Well, if you're quick to speak about everything you see in the Bible without comparing Bible to Bible, then you're, li- you're very likely to fall into error. Other reasons. Other reasons we should be slow to speak. All right, well, uh, we're headed back to James, so go ahead and turn your Bibles back to James if you're not there already. But instead of James chapter 1, flip over a page or so. James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verse 1. This is James writing again, Not many of you, talking to brothers here, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Why do you think that's so? You are precisely right. The teacher in the Bible has the power to either edify or to deceive. And so James is writing, Not many of us should become teachers. Why? Because it is a serious business. Believe me. One thing, believe me. When I stand up here with some pages of notes, I have thought long and hard about the seriousness of what I'm doing up here. It'd be a whole lot easier to be sitting out there listening. But as Jeremiah would say, you know, there's some things that we're called to do and we can't. There's a fire that you cannot overcome if you don't do it. So here I am. Now, Glenn, what, you were going to say something? Mm-hmm. That's right, yeah. Yeah, great word picture, great word picture. Blind leading the blind. All right? Anybody else? All right, well, I'm not going to belabor the point on being slow to speak anymore because I, I do want to move on to the last, the point number three, and that is point number three. You have it figured out by now. Point number one is quick to hear. Quick. Point number two, slow to speak. Point number three, slow to Wrath, slow to wrath, slow to anger, some of your versions say. We find that once more in verse 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Some of your versions use the word anger there, slow to anger. Uh, the word that's translated wrath or anger here is the Greek word orge, orge. There are two Greek words in the Bible that get translated frequently as either wrath or anger. Uh, one of them is orge, which we have here. The other one is thumos. Orge refers to a slow-burning resentment, a slow-burning anger. Thumos refers to an explosive outburst. Now, what is James writing here? 
when James writes is that we should be slow to wrath or slow to anger, he is writing that we should be slow to build up a long-burning, slow-burning resentment. James is not writing about thumos, a angry outburst. Not that an angry outburst is appropriate. But you understand now, James is writing about this slow-burning type of resentment uh, that builds up in a person. Now, uh, trick question. Those of you, most of you know me know it, that I have trick questions. Does the Bible say, never be angry? No, no. What, what does the Bible say about anger then? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. Be ye, what's the next word? Angry and and, and I'll tell you, the, I think translations do a bad job there. Be angry, but sin not. Be angry, but sin not. Do not let not the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Now, that admonition is great. That we can be angry, but that we have to avoid sin in our anger. Now, how easy is that? Somebody tell me how easy it is to get angry and to avoid sin. Lester? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Andrew? Ephesians 4, uh, 26. Okay. What? Orge, yeah. Orge. Slow burning resentment. Thank you. Sorry. I should have done that research beforehand. Why? Why I have my IT support back in the back row here. Uh, so yes, it, it is. It's the same word. Orge. Slow burning resentment type of anger and wrath. Okay. Where was I? Where was I? Oh, uh, somebody tell me how easy it is for you to get angry and not sin in your anger. Very hard, very hard. But do we know that it's possible? How do we know that it's possible? Ah, perfect, perfect. Jesus did it when he cleansed the temple. Uh, uh, Mark eleven fifteen to 17. Uh, I'll read it. You're welcome to turn there if you want, though. But it's a very simple story. We're all, very, we're all familiar with it, I would dare say. Mark, 11, chapter, Mark chapter 11, verses 15 to 17. And they come to Jerusalem, and Jesus went into the temple and began to cast them out that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves, and would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, Is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. All right? Jesus is angry. How about another one? Is there another time? You remember when they brought a man with a withered hand to Jesus? Uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 5. And when he, that he is Jesus, had looked around about them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he said unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. Now, this bears discussion. How is it that we can look at the example of Jesus and see how he got angry and did not sin, and use that in our life? That's an open question. How can we look at these examples of Jesus when he clearly got angry and yet did not sin? How can we do that in our own lives? Okay, very good, very good. It, it, uh, we'll hold on to that thought. That, that, that's, that's a great thought. Let, let some other people see if we got some more answers here. I, I, I'll give you a little hint. What did he get angry at? What? Sin. He got angry at sin. Specifically, what kinds of sin? Hardness of heart. There's one right there looking at them. Hardness of heart. Very good. Jesus got angry at sin. He got angry at hard hearts. What else? Disrespect for God. I think that goes back to what you were saying some there, Lester, is Jesus got mad not because he was personally affronted 
although he is God, so there's, it's kind of hard to make the application when Jesus is God. But Jesus didn't get mad because somebody came up and hit him. Jesus didn't get mad when they slapped him. Jesus didn't get mad when they plucked the beard out of his face. Jesus didn't get mad when they put a crown of thorns on his head. Jesus didn't even get mad when they crucified him. Jesus stood all affront to his own person without getting mad, without getting angry. When did he get angry? When people had hard hearts and when people disrespected God. What? Yeah, well, I've been one of these, my little ones, right. Mm-hmm. Right. right, because the one example of the man with the withered hand, he was angry when they, because of the hardness of their hearts, refused him to show compassion upon that hurting individual. Uh, now, Lester, let's go back to what you were saying. Uh, the term is often used, not anger, but righteous indignation. Now, what is the difference between me getting mad when someone does something to me and this righteous indignation, you think? Pride? That's probably the root of the whole thing. I wouldn't even, I hadn't even gone that deep yet, but but it, but it is, I think it is because it's, it's, we often get mad when someone does something to me, when someone takes away my rights. I have a right to do this and you've taken it away. I'm getting mad. I'm going to get even. But that, Glenn? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a very good point, very good point. But very often do we get angry when we see other people being hurt. And very rarely, even more, do we get angry when we see God being, being put down. And that's what made Jesus angry, when other people were being hurt and when God was being drugged through the mud. So... Another thing that I want you to see is, let's go back to the story of uh, Caleb, the, the money changers in the temple. What did Jesus do there? Made a whip, he sure did. He drove them out, turned over the tables, drove them out, right? Now, was that good or bad? Not a trick question, by the way. Was that good or bad? Good. Why? Why was it good? If you walked into one of these stores across the street and started turning over their tables, saying, would, would that be good or bad? It'd probably be bad. I think you're probably right. It'd probably, probably be bad. Why is it that Jesus can go into the temple and do this and we call it good? Yeah, it's for, it's for God's house. I want you to see that, let's just say I don't believe a store should be open on Sunday. And I go in and say, well, you shouldn't be open on Sunday and turn over there all their tables and make a whip and drive them all out of the store. Have I solved anything? No. Well, what did Jesus do? Jesus, you read the superscription that most people put in the Bible over this. It's called Jesus cleanses the temple. I want you to see that every time Jesus got angry when he healed the man with the withered hand, when he drove the money changers out of the temple, he was solving a problem. How often does your anger solve a problem? Very, very rarely. If you want to learn how to get angry and not sin, use your anger over something to solve a problem not become part of the problem. Now, I hope that as we get to the end of this that we see that there are good ways, there are appropriate ways to be angry, there are appropriate ways to handle our anger, but I hope we also realize as we examine our own lives that most of our anger is not godly. Most of our anger is not godly. Now, that's where I want to go to now. I'm talking about unrighteous anger at this point. What does unrighteous anger show about a person, about their character? It shows selfishness, absolutely. They're angry because they've been affronted, taking away my rights. It's selfishness. Go back to Lester. I'll, I'll use your pride again. I think, that's, I think that's another facet of the exact same 
thing here is pride. Shows their pride. What else? Bitterness, absolutely. Verses says, let no root of bitterness spring forth. Bitterness, pride, selfishness, unforgiveness, absolutely. What else? All right, let me give you let me give you three that I have written down here. First of all, and you're going to like this one. You're going to get you know you you may not appreciate this very much. Your unrighteous anger shows your foolishness. Your unrighteous anger shows your foolish. Ecclesiastes seven nine says this: Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. You get angry and you don't have a righteous reason to be angry. You're showing you're a fool. Okay? Second, your unrighteous anger shows the strength of your character. Proverbs 16.32 says this, He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that takes a city. How strong is a person who's mighty? How strong is a person who can take a city? The, 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 The view there is in warfare. How strong is that person? I tell you, if you are able to restrain and control your anger, you are more mighty in character than that person. Now, the third thing is this. Your unrighteous anger's anger leads you to other sins. Proverbs 29, verse 22 says this. An angry man stirreth up strife, and a furious man aboundeth in transgression. Think about it for a minute. Think with me. What sins stem forth? From unrighteous anger. Worry. Worry. Good one. Murder. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Vengeance. Excellent answer. You see all these sins? All these sins that come because of anger? Just think what we could avoid. The sins in our life we could avoid if we just learned how to control, to not be angry, to be slow to be angry. Allow me to illustrate. If I have a cup of water here, and, and I'm, I'm gonna, I won't make a minute. But if I bump this and jostle it and stuff comes out, what comes out? I have a cup of water. I jostle it. What comes out? It's not a trick question. What? <laughs> water. Okay. Now, why don't I say delete this up here? If I take this one and jostle it and, and bump it, what comes out? What is that? What? Whatever it is. It's got, it's got carbonate. We'll call it Pepsi, okay? I jostle and bump this thing around. Enough, and what spills out? Pepsi comes out of the glass filled with Pepsi, right? Got that. Water comes out of the glass with water, right? Everybody with me? Now, if I do the same thing to you, if I bump and jostle you and I violate your rights and I say something bad about you and make you angry, what comes out of you? What? Bingo. What comes out of you is what is in your heart. Fresh water or salt water, to use another illustration that James is going to give us another word picture. What comes out of you when you are jostled and bumped around by this life, persecuted, how about we use another biblical word there, when you're persecuted, when you're spoken evil of, what comes out of you when those things happen is shows you what is inside your heart. It's who you are. And there's nothing like tribulation and persecution and being bumped and jostled to show a person what they are really like. Do you understand that? You want to know what a person's like? Don't look at them when their life is easy, when everything is going good. Look what happens when they are bumped and jostled by life. And look what comes out. You want to know the character of a person? Look at what comes out. Now, we read it this morning. The, or do we read it this afternoon? From the, the good treasure of a good man 
comes from what is in his heart. Now, Luke 6.45 says this, A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good, and an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There we go. Now, as I was typing this, and maybe as you're listening to me, you might be saying to yourself, I think I get angry too much. And I think I get angry for the wrong reasons. How can I deal with it? How do you think you deal with it? How do you deal with it when you recognize this unrighteous anger in your life? I hadn't even thought about that. But that's, I think that, that may be one of the, that may be, could be the best answer. Go back to the beginning. What do we start with? Be slow to, quick to hear. Be slow to speak. I like that. That's a great answer. I'll, I'll get that one typed into my notes. I like that one. Count to ten. <laughs> count to, all right. Count to ten and then do something. That's what, that's what we're basically saying here, right? Count to ten and then do something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we can use a, a biblical word, part of the fruit of the Spirit, to describe that counting to ten. It's patience. Very good. Patience. What else? Y'all are doing a great job. I'll go over some of mine here in a minute, but y'all are doing a great job. Repent. We can repent when we find out that we are unrighteously being angry. Uh, absolutely. In fact, every time we find we're being unrighteously angry, we should be repenting. Absolutely. And that really goes, I'll, just, I'll, I'll play one of my cards. We have to treat it as sin. We have to treat unrighteous anger as sin. And that's why I, that's why I bring it out here. Because what do we repent of? Do we repent of having, do we repent of being sick? No, we repent of sin. So when you say we're going to repent, what you said is you recognize it as a sin. Very good. Others. Forgiveness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Say that again. I, I got. I got. I got the. I got the forgiveness. What did you say again? Right. Forgetting what lies behind, I press forward. Yeah. Very good. Because the grace of God, mercy of God, deals with anger just like it deals with all other sins. Others. Yeah, absolutely. Confession. Lester and I talked about that last night about our need to be more open in confessing sins to one another. And not just sins that I committed against you, but talking about our sins with other with other men and other women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ephesians, yeah, for Ephesians 4.32, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. Very yeah. All right, well, one more that I'll have, and we'll move on. We need to learn to react to being jostled in the right way. There's definitely a wrong way to react. In order, what Ephesians chapter 4 says, put off the old man, right? We're going to put off the old man. We're going to put off our unrighteous anger. But what does it also say? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man. How does the new man react to being jostled by the world? The new man reacts according to Proverbs 15, 1 and 2, among other things. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. The tongue of the wise useth knowledge right, but the mouth of fools poureth out foolishness. The first part there, a soft answer turns away wrath. A very effective way. When you're jostled, instead of getting angry, the new man has a soft answer. Now, point number four, and then I'm finished. Point number four, man's wrath and God's wrath are incompatible. No, excuse me, man's wrath and God's, excuse me, back up. Erase that part of the tape. Man's wrath and God's righteousness are incompatible. 
Man's wrath and God's righteousness are incompatible. James 1.20 gives us this message. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Now, I'm not going to dwell very long on this point because we've already spent the last several minutes talking about the wrath of man. I think by this point, I think we all have a very good understanding of what the wrath of man or the anger of man looks like. Uh, and I don't see any need at this point to discuss in great detail the righteousness of God. I believe that every one of us in here who are Christians have heard over and over again about the righteous character of God. I don't think we need to belabor the point at this point about what the righteousness of God looks like. So we know about the wrath of man, the anger of man. We have a good understanding of what the righteousness of God means at this point. Uh, It basically is that God is inherently righteous in all his character, and that means that all of God's actions are righteous as well. God is inherently righteous in his character, and therefore all his actions are inherently righteous as well. By extension, God expects the same righteous acts from his children. Now, what we do need to spend a minute on is that phrase in there, worketh not. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. The idea behind this verse boils down to this. Man's wrath does not and cannot produce actions which are righteous in the eyes of God. Man's wrath cannot and will cannot and does not produce actions which are righteous in the eyes of God. And by right, man's wrath, what we're talking about there is unrighteous anger that we spend a lot of time talking about. The word translated worketh there literally means to toil or to be engaged in. It is in the present tense which indicates a continual action. Uh, The idea here, then, is a continual employment. When you're angry, unrighteously angry, that anger cannot produce righteous acts that God requires. Now, every once in a while, I'll get angry. I admit it, I'll get angry. And every once in a while, my anger is unrighteous. More often than not, if I'm angry, it probably is unrighteous. When When that happens, I am not going to produce and I cannot produce righteous acts. The idea here, though, when it's put into the present tense, is aimed primarily at the unbeliever. That unbelievers, because they are not righteous, all of their anger is going to be unrighteous anger, and it can never continually produce righteous acts that God requires. The primary audience is the unbeliever, but it's got an application for us in here who are believers as well, that our periodic acts of unrighteous anger, our periodic outbursts and our or sometimes when we get a slow burning resentment against somebody, when we are in that state, we cannot produce the righteous acts that God requires of us. And what's the answer? Miss Randolph, you had it perfectly. Repent. It's a sin. And repent. Now, that's all I have for you from these verses. Uh, does anybody else have anything that you want to add? Right. Because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. For one reason. One reason is because we don't know what tomorrow will bring. Yeah. Yeah. First John, the excellent study to back up a lot of what we were saying today. Yeah. Because it's theology, practical application. Very good. Yeah. Well, next week, Lord willing, 
I invite you to be here. Uh, if you have another church, I, I realize I'm talking to a lot of people from a lot of different churches and a lot of people looking at churches right now. If, if, uh, if your Lord leads you, we'll, I will be back here next week. I encourage you to go where God is sending you to go. Uh, but if you do come back in here next week, we will be looking in the morning at verses 21 through 25. And if we finish that, the afternoon, we'll be looking at verses 26 and 27. And that will uh, get us through James chapter 1.